go all the way to 37, but hang in there. It's a good read. It's not, it's not too much. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he called him, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus shared this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead or half alive, because that's how that works. A priest happened to be going down the same road, a priest, and when he saw the man half beaten uh, to death, clothes taken on the ground, he passed by him on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to that same place and saw the man, again half beaten, clothes stolen, laying on the ground, he passed by too on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled that same very road, came where that man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, I'm not sure, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Looking after him, he said, and when I return, oh, sorry, look after him, he said, and when I return, because he's coming back, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have had. Jesus ends the story, and he asks that expert in the law, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, if you wouldn't mind praying with me, we're going to get started. Um, Jesus, thank you. Uh, for your word. God, thank you that we have it freely to us, um, that we can talk about it um, in a community like this, uh, free of worry or danger. Um, God, let us um, look to your word this morning and learn from it. Um, God, just as your spirit moves like the wind, can't be controlled, God, I pray that in that same way it would move um, through me this morning, that it wouldn't be uh, my own words or my own doing, but it would be completely of you, Holy Spirit, that um, we wouldn't leave without learning something new about you, as my beautiful wife Bray said, um, but also um, that we would just be challenged to love in a new way. Um, and take it from your own, your own words and how to do that. Thank you, Jesus. Um, we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start by talking about this first character we see, again, in a story that Jesus shared. He called him an expert in the law, okay? So um, clearly this guy would have known uh, a thing or two about the Old Testament. That's what they called the law. Because when Jesus asks him a question— the guy answers right away. He doesn't have to stop and look it up. He doesn't grab his iPad and Google anything. He just knows. And he says, oh, that's easy. The first and most important thing is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, that's even 
one of the first things written in the law too. So on top of that, uh, he gives Jesus the obvious answer. And Jesus says, you know, that's good. But the man doesn't just stop there uh, with getting his answer from Jesus because it's kind of the obvious one. He says, okay, but then who is my neighbor? Uh, Which is kind of a strange question for an expert to ask because he should know this because he knows all the law and he knows all the things. But uh, studying this week, something that I I learned, and I think it helps to make this uh, make more sense to us, is that he asked... Who is my neighbor? Because to a lot of uh, Jewish people at the time, which that's what this man would have been, knowing, knowing the law, knowing the Old Testament so well, they were very big into how it's written is what it means, word for word. So when they would look at the word neighbor, they wouldn't think of neighbor as meaning everyone. They would take neighbor as, okay, my neighbor must be someone specific. That's who my neighbor is. That's who I'm supposed to love as much as myself. Does that make sense? They would take it word for word. So at the end of this story, we're going to see how Jesus responds to that. But that's why that man's asking this. He's asking, he's asking a good question. How do, I, how do I inherit eternal life? And who is my neighbor? Because I want to know, because apparently my neighbor is someone specific, because in the law it's written that way for a reason. Because I look at each word, I study each word. So who is my neighbor? So Jesus, as he does likes to tell stories. They're called parables sometimes. You've probably heard that before. This one's sometimes called the Good Samaritan. Again, it's for that character, the Samaritan, who we'll see on the road. Um, But I'm excited to share some things with you about this uh, parable that I just learned this week that I think is really, really cool. I like to learn background. It helps me to learn and understand, Um, and I think it's going to help you guys too. Take a look at these pictures uh, I have for you guys. So in this story, Jesus says a man was traveling, and this is important, from Jerusalem to Jericho, okay? So if you think about this geographically, these places are 18 miles apart. So it's a long, it's a long road to travel. And not only are they 18 miles apart, but you're going to go from on top of a mountain where Jerusalem was to actually below sea level where Jericho is going to be. And the man's going top to bottom. So he's going 18 miles. He's dropping quite a distance. And if you look at this picture, this isn't just something I pulled off the internet. This is the actual place. Look at how windy and curvy that road is. So the audience that Jesus is telling this story to, when he told them a man's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, Immediately, they would have thought, oh, that's a sketchy road. I wouldn't want to go down that road because it was known for crime to be happening on. Because you see, it kind of winds. It's very narrow. Criminals, robbers, thieves, what have you, they would actually utilize this for their own good because it creates uh, the perfect, um, the perfect like, atmosphere for them to hide, jump out, be right on top of someone before they had any chance to see them. Right? It's like a surprise attack. So the audience would know, oh man, he's going down a dangerous road. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. I know that road. I've seen it before. And they would envision things like this. There's even a second picture too. It kind of gives you another idea just of how dangerous it looks like a road, uh, the road is. It might pop up there. Um, but anyway, so it's 18 miles. It's a huge drop from top to bottom. It's super dangerous. And on top of that, it's not a road that many people like to travel, obviously, for those reasons. Uh, so Jesus starts to tell this story, and he says the man's traveling. 
And uh, as the audience might have guessed, what happens to the man? He gets attacked, right? He gets robbed. He gets beaten. His clothes are stolen. And the listeners to Jesus' story are probably thinking like, well, I could have told you that was going to happen. You shouldn't go over there. That's a bad place in town. You shouldn't do that. It's a bad idea. It's a long road. It's not a good place to be traveling. So the reader would be thinking, okay, sorry, the listener would be thinking, all right, that happened, okay. But Jesus offers this glimpse of hope. He says, but another man was traveling, same direction, Jerusalem to Jericho, and he tells the audience it's a priest, okay? And so you can, you can imagine this. The listeners of the story that Jesus is telling, they'd probably be thinking like, Oh, phew. Okay. Well, someone's coming. That's a big deal in and of itself that someone else would be traveling the road because this guy probably doesn't have a lot of time to live. He got beat half to death. Again, 50%. That's almost full death halfway. But here comes the priest, right? And they're like, oh, okay. Phew. Well, the story's going to be wrapping up soon because the priest is here. But what does the priest do? Guys, look how narrow that path, that road is. It's not very wide, is it? No. So not only does the priest pass by him on the opposite side of the road, but he still, I mean, that's not very far from where that man's on the ground. So he doesn't have much of a testimony to be like, oh, I didn't see him. The road's so wide. You know, he blended right in. No, he was probably, he might have even been like, uh, you know, like, okay, I didn't see anything. And the audience would have been like, he just passed him by on the opposite side? Oh, well, he's dead now for sure. And then Jesus would go on to say, but then a Levite was coming down that same road again from Jerusalem to Jericho. Levite, uh, it's very similar to when you think of what a priest would be. They were perhaps a little bit lower on like the hierarchy of, uh, you think of um, kind of like church leadership at the time. But still, Another, another person that would be viewed as knowing the law, another person who would be viewed in that same status of a priest, but perhaps maybe a step or two lower. Same thing. He's coming down the road. Again, audience, oh, wow, two people are actually going to pass, are going to see this man. Like, that's crazy. This is such a long road. What are the odds that two people would have passed? And if that, now a Levite's coming, surely he will help him. But what does he do? the same exact thing. He doesn't just, you know, come up to him and take a look. No, he passes by on the opposite side. Again, it's not a very wide road. It, it's super narrow. They, they saw the man laying on the ground, but both, while knowing the law, still chose to, to pass by on the opposite side. And, uh, and look at this. Uh, I'll share a verse with you from Exodus. This comes from chapter 23, verses four and five, you'll see it on the screen. It says, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, don't leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. All right, this is just one passage from the law that these folks would have been experts in. Now, this is clearly talking about an animal, right? So they would know from the law, hey, even if an animal is injured, you should help it. Even if it's the animal of someone you hate, you should help it. This is a person that we're talking about that's on the ground, again, 50% beaten, clothes stolen, completely helpless, and they pass by both. 
both the, the priest and the Levite pass by. All while knowing this, and get this, which way are they going? From Jerusalem to Jericho. Some of my uh, Bible scholars in the audience might know this. What's in Jerusalem? The temple. Folks would travel to Jerusalem for worship. Okay, They would come all the way from Jericho to Jerusalem to worship. So these are two, two people who are involved with the church leaving Jerusalem. Most likely, almost definitely, just went there to worship. Because at that time, folks weren't allowed in the temple. Only priests were. So if you brought an offering to the temple, you weren't going in if you weren't a priest. But you could give it to the priest and they'd take it in for you. That was your offering. So these folks had both just left Jerusalem, basically just walked out of like Sunday morning church, and are walking down the road, and they see a human wounded, beaten, and robbed, and they're just, even though they just left a time of worship that they traveled 18 miles to get to. That puts a whole new perspective into this, doesn't it? It's like, Wow. I don't want to. I don't want to be like that. Those guys, right? But fortunately for that man, that traveler, there comes a third person down the road. All we know about him is that he's a Samaritan. Says that he's traveling, and he sees the man just like the two men before him. But when he sees him, it says he takes pity on him, or he has compassion for him. And he does a series of things for this wounded, 50% dead, 50% alive man, robbed, stole, uh, robbed, clothes stolen. He takes pity on him. And what's he do? He goes and he uses his own personal oil and wine, which is kind of like, why would anyone be traveling with oil? I didn't bring any uh, extra virgin with me this morning to church on uh, on this Sunday, but this man's traveling with oil and wine. Um, he's not an alcoholic. That was normal. They travel with wine and, and oil. That's a thing they do. And what they do, uh, and why he's putting this on these wounds, is because the oil would act as a medicine for those cuts and scrapes. They believed it would help to keep things out of those cuts. And then the wine, obviously it's alcohol in the wine, it acts as an antiseptic for those wounds. I know, big word. Basically, it just means that alcohol would likely kill any germs in those cuts or scrapes. And if you notice, it, it says that he pours it on. So he's not like, oh, I only got a little bit left, a little bit for you, a little bit for me. No, he, he pours it on. So he's probably dousing him completely with all he's got because this man's beaten half to death. It's usually not a paper cut that leaves you half to death. You're probably pretty beaten. So he is pouring it on, probably using all of his resource on this man. But he doesn't just stop there. He's not like, hey, hope, hope things work out for you. Like, back to Jericho I go. No, he stays with the man, and he lifts him up onto his animal, his donkey, and he takes him to a place that's called the inn. Now, granted, these places weren't like, you know, it's not like the hotel holiday inn. It was a pretty, pretty low-end place, but it was a place that was supposed to only be used if, like, you absolutely needed to get off of the road. Like, so if, if things in your, in your situation were so bad that you couldn't keep traveling, that's why these places were. It's like an absolute necessity. And obviously, this man being very, very wounded, very, very hurt, you, you know, he fit the bill. So he takes him there, 
and he takes what we'll uh, what we'll read is two denarii, which is a form of currency, money at the time. Um, we see it a few other places in the New Testament. It's actually the most uh, common form of coin that's talked about in the New Testament. And he takes out two, and he gives it to the man at the desk. Maybe there was a desk. I don't know. In my mind, there's a desk. And he says, listen, I'm going to pay for this man. Uh, and, and get this, because you might pass it by if you don't pay attention. Look at that verse. It says, the next day. The next day. So the man doesn't just drop him off, pay for his bill, and say, okay, I, I took you here. I, I bandaged your wounds. I gave you a lift. I paid for your stay. See ya. No, he stays with him at least an evening. So he's there at least until the next day. And then he goes to that innkeeper and says, hey, this is enough money until I get back. Take care of him. He isn't just like, hey, there's a guy in room 18. He might die. You might want to check on him. No, he says, take care of him. And uh, we don't know like for sure the cost of how much an inn would have been. But we do have uh, some general idea. And it's believed that it's at least two weeks but it can honestly be as much as two months. They found some signs uh, for inns, like ancient signs, that have pricing for these, and they found one that was like one thirty-second of a denarii. So there's a chance, I can't say for sure, there's a chance that this man has just paid for up to two months' stay for this guy. That's a, that's a sizable amount of a stay. Uh, if you look elsewhere, like in... Um, your research, usually a denarii is like a day's wage for like the lowest, uh, the lowest worker. So he just paid at least two full days wages for a complete stranger. And he said, I'm willing to pay more, take care of him, whatever else expenses you might accrue with this guy. Don't worry, I'm coming back and I'll pay for that too. That's a lot, isn't it? Dang. He didn't just like Stop at the wounds, stop at giving him a lift, drop him off. He stayed the night. And then on top of it, he says, I'm coming back even. So whatever else accrues from this, don't worry, I'm coming back. I'll take care of it. For someone that he didn't even know, that's crazy, isn't it? Oh, man. It changes the whole perspective of these things. Now... Let's take a step to the side and think back to real time. Because, again, this is all a story, right? This is all Jesus telling this story. It's not something that, that happened. It's Jesus sharing a parable. And he's sharing it again with this expert of the law, right? This man at the time who would have known the ins and outs of what to do and how to act and how to speak and all these things. And he ends and he says, okay, which of these men was a neighbor to them, to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. And the expert says, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. If the uh, choir and worship team wants to start making their way back up, they can. So if you, you, know, if you go home and you're like, man, the Good Samaritan was awesome. I want to learn more about that too. 
something you'll find is that a lot of people have looked at this parable, and, and you can look at it different ways, and people will say, oh, you know, like, what does this mean? I read one this week that was like, oh, you know, some believe that the, the Samaritan represents Jesus, and the man on the ground represents us, and it's Jesus coming to help us, and, you know, he takes us onto his donkey, and that's him taking, uh, you know, our burdens onto him, and the, and the inn is the church, and he takes him to the church to, to be restored, and he says, I'll be back, and it represents Jesus' second coming. There's lots of different, like, interpretations of this, but what we know for sure is that Jesus said, this is a story. Um, something else that you might find if, if you go and research more of this, uh, the priest and the Levite that passed by that man in the Old Testament, it says that priests and Levites weren't allowed to touch dead bodies. In fact, if they, were, uh, they weren't even allowed to uh, like be the speaker at, the, at a funeral unless it was their father or their mother. So if it was your brother or cousin, couldn't do it, didn't matter. So a lot of people like to think, well, maybe the priest and the Levite passed by because they thought the man was dead and they didn't want to touch him. Again, this is a story, so those people don't have thoughts because they're characters in a story. They're not real people. Um, so, I mean, eh, maybe. But still, they had just left Jerusalem, so they weren't, going, they weren't even going to Jerusalem to go help people worship. Because if you touched a dead body as a priest or a Levite, you had to go through uh, a whole seven-day uh, cleansing before you were allowed to help people worship again as that leader. So they weren't even going to Jerusalem, so they didn't even have that excuse. Again, this is just a story. They're just people. They don't have thoughts because they're a story. But even if they were real people and they were going to Jerusalem, they weren't. They were going to Jericho, so they had just finished. So they have seven days. I mean, it's an 18-mile road. Like, they got some time, and they're going back to Jericho. They aren't going to the temple. So you'll find all these different things. But what we do know for sure is that Jesus was talking to an expert of the law. And you'll find when you look at different parables in the Bible, Jesus usually tells parables uh, when he's talking to one person, it's because that one person needs to hear something specific. And in this scenario, he's talking to this Jewish man, this expert, who had just asked him, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus, if you didn't know, Jesus knows a thing or two. And he knows that this Jewish man has the concept most likely, oh, my neighbor is my fellow Jew. Oh, my neighbor is my best friend, Larry. Oh, my neighbor is my coworker who I see every day. Those are my neighbors, right? The people that I see, the people that I communicate with, the people in my community, in my neighborhood. My neighbor is my neighbor, literally. But Jesus, doing his typical Jesus juke that he loves to do, if you haven't heard of that, you know, you know, he, he gets you from the unexpected angle when you're expecting him to give you the answer that you've set him up to give you. It even says the man tests Jesus. So when you're testing someone, it's usually because you know the answer already, right? I, I wouldn't go up to someone and ask them the, uh, a question, expecting them to have the right answer to test them, and I myself don't know the right answer. That doesn't make any sense, right? How am I going to test you if I don't know the right answer? You could tell me anything. So the, the man must have thought, I know the answer to this anyway. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus shares, him, uh, shares with him a story of a Samaritan. Now, why is it relevant that that third man is even a Samaritan? Well, I actually had to, I had to learn this myself. I, I had known the gist of it, but I'll share with you 
this morning uh, a little bit of the history because I think it, again, it just helps you to like connect things and it to make more sense and hold more meaning. Well, there was a time uh, before Jesus was even born uh, in northern Israel where um, a Jewish man had bought some land, all right? So Jews were living there. That's what happens when a Jewish person buys land and people live there. They're also Jews. And that place got taken over by uh, people that would be called Syrians or Assyrians, okay? So they take over that area where these Jews are living at. And they kick out mostly all of the Jewish people. They let some people stay, like the farmers and the lower class people. They let them stay, probably because they want what they're farming to help the people that are staying there who aren't Jews. Well, after a a short time, my iPad's listening to me. This is funny. And after a short time, the Jews are allowed to come back to that area. After battles and wars have happened and and the land is taken back over, Jews are allowed to come back. And what do they have there? They have Jews returning with Jews who have stayed. And the Jewish people who have stayed have actually uh, intermingled with folks from the other country. Okay, so you have Jewish people who were having children with people who weren't Jewish. So when these Jewish people came back from the exile, they had not, a, not so great of a view of those people who stayed and did those things. In fact, so much so that when they went to rebuild the temple, the Jewish people who had been exiled said, you can't help us rebuild the temple. Look what you've done. No, we don't want your help. No, thank you. And that started this whole process of Samaritans, which were the folks who were allowed to stay, who had kids with people from these Assyrians, putting the word together. They called them Samaritans. It was their own derogatory word for those people. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, there's a time when the Pharisees actually asked Jesus, which I've read this before, never knew it was such an insult. They literally asked Jesus, are you a demon-possessed Samaritan? So when you think about the way that Jewish people look at Samaritans, and then you think about them asking Jesus that question, that is like the hugest insult they could have said to him. It's kind of like you think of someone like, are you, are you that stupid? But 10 times how, 10 times worse than that. Are you a Samaritan? No, are you a demon-possessed Samaritan? That's the way that they treated Jesus at times. Crazy. So when the audience is listening to Jesus and a priest passes by and a Levite pass by and both do nothing, not even passing on the same side, but then a Samaritan comes, are you kidding me? A Samaritan comes and he does all these things. He has compassion. He has pity. He gives of his time. He gives of his money. He gives of his own resources and then takes the time to come back. A Samaritan did that? And then he asks the expert, you're so smart, which of these men was the neighbor? So the the title of this sermon today was, Who is Your Neighbor? But Jesus, I think you'd want me to change the title, because Jesus doesn't end the story with saying, who is the neighbor? He says, who was the neighbor? So I'm, I'm asking you guys today, let's change our focus from who is our neighbor to instead, who was being a good neighbor? Because Uh, Something that I learned from this is that your neighbor isn't just the person who lives beside you. When you move, your neighbors move with you. These two people, the man traveling and the Samaritan traveling, likely would have never seen each other again after this circumstance. Literally like two ships passing in the night, if you've heard that expression. 
a Samaritan and a Jew, an 18-mile-long road, just happened to bump into each other. And the Samaritan, be, he, he decides to be a neighbor. That's, that's what Jesus wants us to do. He doesn't want us to find our neighbor. He wants us to be a good neighbor. Does that make sense? Yes, I, I hope so. So this Christmas, man... Of course it's about Jesus being born. Of course Jesus is the greatest example of love. Of course we lit a candle, uh, you know, that is love. And love, of course, is giving, you know, giving yourself for someone. But isn't that, is what, that's what's happening in this story. He is loving his neighbor. He's saying, okay, the hierarchy in my mind of I'm number one, I'm going to flip-flop that, and I'm going to put this man before myself we, we don't know where that Samaritan was going. We don't know if he had to be somewhere at a certain time, a certain place. It didn't matter because he put him before himself because he loved him as himself. The first, the first and second greatest commandment, the first thing that the expert asked Jesus, how do I inherit uh, eternal life? How do, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you were to ask Jesus, okay, Jesus, who, who should I love more, my neighbor or God? He would say, yes. No, no, Jesus, who sh- which one's who? Which one first, Jesus, neighbor? Yes. No, which one do I love more? Yes. It's like a coin. One side's on one and one's on the other. Jesus didn't just end it with saying the greatest thing is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He adds in your neighbor because it's just as important. He tells a story to a person who needs to hear it. The man asked, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? Jesus is giving him the qualification to enter the kingdom of heaven. If that doesn't stir some stuff up in you, I hope, it, I hope it starts to, because the man's asking, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus is saying, this is the prerequisite. This is what you have to do. He's not saying, do it or don't. The man asked, how do I get there? And Jesus answered, this is how. It's not an option. It's the direction. Man, to sit there and listen to Jesus tell this story would have been ground-shaking to these people. People who were raised to view Samaritans in a dirty, lowly way and then being told by the man that's called rabbi by experts of law. He called him teacher, a term of respect, a term meaning teach me. I want, I'm going to learn from you. And he says, listen to me. The Samaritan was the good neighbor that would have completely turned their world upside down. And that's what Jesus wants to do. But don't forget that that man asked, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus gives him direction. You, we can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. When you ask a direct question and you get an answer, it's just that. That's the answer. That is the answer. <laughs> I've heard this story growing up probably more times than, than I would guess. But just taking the time this week to learn a little bit more about it and just praying to, to understand more about it, it's there. Like, that's what we got to do. We need, we need 
to take in his, his word. It's alive, it's active, and it is there. It's probably on your phone right now or in your lap in a book. But we need to listen to it, but then we need to do it too. It's not, it's not enough to just listen. It's action. Just like James tells us, you know, faith without works is dead. Absolutely, Holy Spirit is alive and active, and like I pray that he is moving through each and every one of us. Absolutely. But there is an action part encompassed in our lives too. The Samaritan, it doesn't say the Samaritan, you know, was consumed with the Holy Spirit and he did all these things and he didn't have control of his hands and his resources and then it left him. No. He had the ability to respond, just like the priest, just like the Levite. They had the opportunity to perform an action, to perform a good work. But one did it, and that is the one that was a good neighbor. That is the one, when asked, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven, was the answer. That man, what he did. Let's be people who do that. So many times, you know, we're afraid. We're afraid to be a good neighbor because it can be viewed as dangerous. Oh, I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I want to go help them, but what if X, Y, Z, you know, something could happen to me? That priest and that Levite might have thought, man, I don't want to touch them. What if he's dead? I'll be unclean. It's still relevant today. The same fears that worked on people then can still try and act on us today. Enemy's not so smart. He'll try and get you any way he can. And if he can get you from being a good neighbor through some fear or doubt or lie, best believe he's going to try to do that. But it doesn't change the answer. Jesus didn't say, hey, be a good neighbor only when you're not afraid. Hey, be a good neighbor only when you're not doubting what to do. No, no. This is it. This is what you have to do. Even though it's a Samaritan, even though it was his enemy, Jesus says, love your enemies. Your neighbor isn't just the folk that you want to be nice to. It's everyone. It's, it's everyone. Let's pray. God, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> that we can that we can show the love that you've given us God you don't say it's impossible you tell us to do it because we can you haven't set the bar to an unreachable height you told us a story of a man who was and then told us to do likewise because we can thank you Jesus that we can God Holy Spirit, I pray that, that you give us the courage, God, that you give us the softened heart, Jesus, to be a good neighbor. Not who is my neighbor, but that I am being a neighbor, a good neighbor. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray that that, that wouldn't be lost this Christmas, that, that we wouldn't be distracted by all the fluff that comes with your birth, but that we would focus on you and what you've asked us to do and the example you set, because you did every single thing that you asked us to do, Jesus. You didn't have to, but you did. You did every single thing. In doing so, you showed us that
it's possible for us to as well. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, I just pray that as we enter into this time of worship together as this church family, God, that we're just, we're just on a whole new level of worth giving to you, that our eyes and our hearts have just been opened so much to how good you are, that as we sing out to you, that as we pray to you during this time, that we just give you praise and praise, and it just clicks, that your goodness just, that it just resonates in our hearts in a new way. Because you're allowing it to, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. God, give us courage to confess what we have to confess. Lord, give us boldness to grasp the faith, to believe in you, God. To, to push the lies and fears away that have kept us from taking that next step with you, Jesus. God, let us respond, because we have to respond. We have, we have a part in this, and it's our response. It's what we decide to do. God, I pray that nothing would stop us from responding. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Foundry Podcast. We hope it has been a blessing to you. For more information on service times and upcoming events, visit our website at thefoundrywv.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at thefoundrywv.com.